Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is Shirley Hayes, who's the founder of Ship Copper Mines, a copper mining and development company based in Northern Cape province of South Africa um, and is 95% subsidiary of Copper 360. Shirley's a mining entrepreneur with an extensive experience in surface mining and blasting um, and has also run her own quarrying business in the earlier days. Seeking and identifying uh, identifying alternative commodities, um, she started Ship Copper Mines, focusing on the Concordia tenement, covering 36,000 hectares of the most prospective copper targets in the area. And she's here today to tell us more about her company and, and about her story. So that's welcome, Shirley, to the podcast. Hey, then, Shirley. Hi, Rob. Thank you very much for having me and 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 showing your interest in my story. It's been a very long story, though. Uh, I started out in the mining sector in 1997, and I started as an admin clerk uh, in the Calgran uh, 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 Quarry Company, um, where I eventually qualified as a magazine master, and then I qualified as a blaster, um, meaning um, getting a temporary blasting certificate and qualified then as a miner when I got the permanent blaster certificate. Now, that was the ticket to my entrepreneurship, actually. So following retrenchment at the quarry, which was very, very good <laughs> in hindsight, I was very sad at the day, but it was the best thing that happened in my life was being retrenched. Um, I, I, I was forced to turn my attention to alternative revenue generation opportunities in the area. Uh, there wasn't much, but there was a lot of dumps. Um, so with a secondhand bucky, that story is very true. And an old John Deere front end loader uh, on rental, uh, I started to just, uh, recover feldspar from these old mining dumps. And the next step was with the revenue to use it to um, start my own uh, fuel feldspar mines. And, oh, man, those were the best years of my life. It was the toughest. I was living without running water for 12 years. Uh, it was the toughest, but it was the best. I absolutely answered to no one. And uh, each new day was an opportunity to discover. I felt a bit like Vasco da Gama, you know, always the great explorer. Um, and then eventually I focused uh, uh, to other minerals because the feldspar industry also had a, it had a limit. Um, and I was born a copper country. I was born a springbok. So I turned my attention to copper. Um, and um, after identifying Northern, the Northern Cape as a major copper exploration area, I um, developed uh, the Concordia area um, into a cluster mining um, project. And I applied for those exploration rights in 2008. It was granted in 2009. And fast forward uh, to 2023, I got the mining right, the mining license on the majority of that area, which is 19,000 hectares. Uh, and um, 
yeah, it took 14 years. They say it takes 15 years to, to, to start a mine. And, and it's true. It is actually true. Since 2008 and today, it is absolutely 15 years. Um, but man, what a journey it was. And today, I continue to build my vision of developing the Northern Cape Promise into, again, one of the largest copper-producing districts in the world. Uh, also, while making sure we deliver value to owners and investors and gives back to the community it serves. Yeah, thank you for giving us obviously that introduction. What I was going to ask is, um, how did you get into the industry? Um, was it family or or you, you obviously might have watched something to get, how did you actually get into the industry? And obviously you mentioned a lot of lessons learned in those early days. Um, so yeah, just want to just cover those few things. Oh man, that takes a new podcast. All the lessons that I have learned, and I've learned so, so many lessons. So what a fantastic journey that was. Some of those lessons were tough, and the toughest ones you learn the, the quickest. There's an old saying that say, the lessons you don't learn will keep repeating themselves until you learn them. The lessons I've learned, um, I will come back to why I uh, decided on copper as a commodity to explore. But the lessons I've learned was was uh, uh, more in the merchant acquisition uh, space. Uh, it was all over, but in that space specific, uh, when you're making deals, and I made a couple of them. Um, because you must remember, when, you, when you're starting out as an explorer, you are always negotiating because you're looking for money and you don't have anything to show because you still have to explore. And then while you're getting a little bit, you need more money to explore. And you always, always negotiate out of a point where you are the weaker one. And those lessons learned was uh, very, very well uh, valuable. But coming back to why did I decide on copper as a commodity, to explore and, it's and, more randomness and i suppose also how how you actually got into the industry yes uh getting into the industry it's just you know it's i always say don't wait wait for opportunity or the best opportunity take the ones that you have now and 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 and, and grab them and 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 um carry on with those those opportunities don't wait wait for the best opportunity i was I was actually without uh, work, and the only opportunity in the Northern Cape was at that stage was uh, post for Edmund Clark at um, at uh, Granite Quarry, and I applied, um, and that was my opportunity that eventually led fast forward where I am now the chairman of a listed company. So don't wait for the best uh, opportunity; they will never come. Make your own opportunities. But coming back to Initially, I was in Felspar uh, with the dumps, uh, and then my Felspar quarries, which is an industrial commodity, uh, which is a very difficult thing to mine. It's a very uh, there's not a lot of money in them, and normally they sit very far away from harbors and infrastructure. So it's a tough commodity to start with, and then it was copper. Now I was born in copper country; it's in my backyard. You must understand, uh, Springbok and the Okip Copper District was the first mineral discovery in South Africa. And it was discovered in, in, in 1685 by not on, only Simon van der Stel, um, the governor of, 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 um, of, of us then, but the indigenous people that came to Cape Good Hope with the jewelry 
and uh, they it started there. And the Northern Cape then um, in South Africa developed from the 1935 to 1980 into I was producing districts in Africa and, and actually in the world. And as I say, it's my backyard. I was born in a copper country, so um, it was not it was not by choice. It was it was randomness. It it is the opportunity that's there. So can you just tell us obviously a little bit about uh, ship copper mines? Um, and obviously I know obviously you started this fifteen years ago. Um, so I just wanted to just give us an overview of, of of the company and I suppose your journey to where you are today. Let's start about the Ritberg copper mine. That that is the first mine that we will mine. Um, it's an underground mine. Uh, we will bring it online by the end of the year. Um, it is twenty five thousand tons of copper metal to mine. It's worth one point four billion rand. Um, you need to do the calculation back to <laughs> back to dollars. And then also we've just uh, discovered in our Will Julia area open pit. Uh, where we've got an area of 150 meters by 100 meters on service, running at an average grade uh, of 5% copper with up to 10% copper on surface. So we've got a couple of these anomalies that we will price up and drill in the next coming months. Um, we'll be busy drilling it uh, as we speak. Um, we don't have those draw results yet. Uh, but this certainly will put South Africa back on the map as one of the major copper districts, uh, if I'm right. Um, what's you, I suppose, unique about this uh, particular project um, and what's its potential? Are you talking about the project that I am talking about? The, yes. The, 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 the new one. Um, we've Okay, we've drilled a couple of holes uh, that confirmed the historical database inherited from Newmont at our Rydberg mine. And currently, as I say, we were drilling. I think it will be the new discovery. Um, it will be a new discovery uh, where we've just done so surface sampling uh, and we've got those results. But um, the grades are very, very, very good. Um, and it's estimated to two and a half to three billion rands worth of copper sitting at surface in just that small area. But we current we are currently drilling that uh, to have a better idea. I, I speak about it. I'm extremely excited about that. That initially was not part of my cluster mining model um, of the twelve mines uh, that I developed. Uh, so um, this is this is a new anomaly that we have discovered, and um, it will put the company uh, on a fast track pace from junior miner to mid tier, if I if I'm right. What's unique about uh, this pro project, um, the, the the cluster mining project and, and the potential of it, uh, it lies in the size of the mining right and the number of mines on the mining right. Normally, when you have a mining right, you have one mine or two mines or three mines. We're talking about 12 mines um, on a huge area of 90,000 hectares. Now, I've developed that cluster mining model with 12 mines feeding into one central process facility. That's extremely unique. Normally, you have this mine and you have a process facility and then you have another mine and you have another process facility. Now, the advantages are huge. Our environmental footprints are dramatically reduced. 
with um, not having process facility at each and every mine. And then the added benefit to that is that we have a, um, a very um, concentrating processing skill task force, uh, and they focus at one central point. Now, Copper 360 produces copper metal already. We do it through the mining and processing of copper rock and historic rock dumps uh, at our SXEW plant, which results in an environmental cleanup. So that's the pre the pre phase. So we are already in production. We have built the first SXEW. It stands for Solvent Extraction and Electro Winning Copper Plant in the region and in South Africa. And then in August 21, uh, we produced not only the first copper in the district in 10 years, but also the first copper cathode, um, which is copper plates produced through the process of plating copper in solution via electrical current. And we do that by cleaning up historical mine rock dumps. So um, that is, uh, we're very proud of that. And that is where our logo comes from, the, the copper 360 and the tree. Initially it was mutual symbiosis um, and now we turn into stronger together. So um, basically, if I can just sum it up in two sentences, we make a hole and we fill the hole and we make a hole and we fill the hole uh, and we um, are very, very uh, focused on environmental um, responsibility. And what's the plan of action for, obviously, all of these, uh, these 12 mines? If you're looking, I suppose, from an overview down, uh, what's the plan of action over the coming years to sort of develop these uh, these 12 mines? Look, we're still small. Uh, we're gearing up towards the end of the year with the construction of our new plant. The plant that we do now have currently in operation is a SXEW plant. So you get two types of copper. You get a sulfide copper and you get the oxide copper. So the oxide copper is the one that um, is... Um, in dumps and near surface. Uh, it's very beautiful, a very green color. Um, and you have the sulfide copper, which is normally underground. Unfortunately, these two uh, uh, copper uh, asks for different processes. Uh, and the one is uh, SXEW plant uh, for oxides and the other one is a um, concentrate plant. Um, so, we have our SXEW plant that treats all the oxides on the area and in the waste, the old historic waste. And uh, we now are constructing a new plant that will, and that will be the big one. Uh, it will be the one that will process all the sulfites in, in the life of mine of, 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 of the area. Currently, as I said, we are small on an annual basis for the next year. We'll do about 8,000 tons of copper production for the year. And the following year, we will double that to 16,000, which is still small. Um, but if one of those open pits uh, pan out, uh, the one that I talked about earlier, uh, the Will Julia area, um, like I think it will, then in the next three years, we can actually grow our production to 50,000 tons of copper per year. And then we will become the mid-sized player and a bigger player in terms of a copper on the African content. So what I must say, um, the cluster mining model gives you, it's, it's more like a, a plug and play model. If you're playing Lego, you've got a plug and play. So you can 
um, diversify your ore bodies. You have got a smaller ore body and then you've got a larger ore body and then you've got an ore body next to it that is lower grade and you've got an ore body next to it that's got higher grade. And you can actually choose between these ore bodies that um, while you're developing this one or you have a problem with that one, you're already busy with this one. So it is, it's very, um, it's not a hard or fast five-year plan or 12-year plan that we do have. We have got um, the option to be um, adaptable, uh, depends on the the ore body, it depends on the cluster mining model. And I would just maybe want to quote um, the legend Bernard Swanepoel in, in South African mining. And, and we always quote Bernard when he says the ore body dictates. So it's the ore body dictates and the cluster, the cluster mining and the model will actually dictate how we go forward. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's that for, for now, my thoughts on that. Yeah. Is there any other companies that have a similar cluster model that you may follow or? No, not that I know of. Not that I know of. Um, it's it's a very fortunate position to be in because these, these uh, all bodies are in very close vicinity. Uh, to one another and also to the to the plant, uh, and as that's we're talking about approximately uh, twelve to 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 thirty kilometers uh, from one another, um, and and that is a very very powerful position to be. So the Okip Copper District, uh, it's actually a geological term, uh, the OCD. That is the type of ore bodies that uh, it's the nature of that type of ore bodies to be in close vicinity. Uh, so. Once you have your, your process facility, it unlocks a lot of ore bodies that would not be viable uh, on its own uh, to, 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 to um, justify a plant. But I will say with the cluster mining model, it's not new. Um, it was the model that the OCC uh, had, the Okip Copper Comp uh, Company, the famous Okip Copper Company, who um, was formed in 1937. And they listed on the New York Stock Exchange. And in the 1960s, they paid the highest dividend ever for that period. And that was something like, um, I'm getting my numbers wrong, was something of 160 million rand for a 1 million rand discover investment. Sorry, just there. Um, so it's not new. It's not mine. It is just basically a copy of the old uh, Okip Copper um, company's cluster mining model, where, and and uh, our process facility is exactly where they where 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 theirs were. Uh, what we have done as um, ship is now a ninety five subsidi subsidiary of Copper Three Hundred and Sixty, the Okip Copper company, the old historic Okip Copper company with all its data sets. Uh, we refer to it as OCC is 100% subsidiary of Copper 360. And our current uh, facility, uh, process facility, uh, is exactly at the same disturbed area uh, where um, the OCC's uh, facility was. Okay. Um, as a female uh, entrepreneur, mining entrepreneur, what challenges have you faced in, in the mining industry, which is obviously male-dominated? Is there, has there been, obviously you mentioned there's been uh, obviously a lot of challenges, no matter whether you're male or female, but have you, have you come across any major challenges being 
more of a, uh, being a female in more of a dominated uh, male dominated industry men <laughs> i i always say you know uh, there's always two sides of a coin but let me start with being an entrepreneur has its challenges and being a mining entrepreneur that comes with a different set of challenges um I needed to face and handle those challenges. And there are only so many hours in the day. And contemplating whether a challenge is there because of my gender was not necessarily the best use of my time. You know, I'm talking about, was I not invited to the table because of my gender? Or was it because of lack of skills? Or was it because of lack of social skills? Or was it just random timing? The one thing I in, in, instinctly knew was rather think that I need to do better. I need to be better as to ask for the reason why I, I, um, I didn't get what I want or that I was not invited, etc, etc. Um, coming back to to, to my story about these two sides of every coin. The economists will tell us that there's a cost to everything and there are two sides of every coin. Um, for example, you might find it, uh, um, a female uh, might find it annoying to be underestimated every time in every room. And I'm not saying there are, I'm not saying I was, which I was, but, um, but, it's a very powerful place to be, to be underestimated. In the art of negotiation, in the arts of contact sports, for, for example, etc. people work very hard to be underestimated because in that lies your biggest strength. So instead of <clears throat> picking the other side of the coin, um, thinking, oh, I am always underestimated. Why doesn't anyone value me? Blah, blah, blah. Look at the other side of the coin and play to your strengths. That is that is one of your biggest strengths as, as uh, if you are being underestimated. That is just one example. And I think, and especially people that listen to this podcast, especially the, the female audience, from what you said there, it seems that you're really focusing on yourself and your strengths and what you're capable of doing and improving what you're, what, what's in within your realm rather than worrying about everyone else. And I think that's an important point, no matter whether you're female or male. I think sometimes you need to worry about how you can be a better better person within within our industry whether you're a mine engineer whether you're a geologist it's really focusing on your core skills and how you can improve that and then being in the environment that you're in working on working on yourself rather than worrying about what everyone else is doing and trying to fit in yes absolutely Absolutely, you summed that up one hundred percent. Listen, this is this is the path of obsession. Uh, you're talking about entrepreneurship. Um, you have only so many hours in the day, and 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 you need to be obsessed with your success and your world, and 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 you can't worry about um, 
about the perception that there might be or not be. And, and, and you can't change the world, but you can change your world and you need to control your mm. world. And if I, if I um, have to give advice to, to female mining professionals in the industry, I would say don't make your strength a weakness and be very, very aware of the victim mode. It will handicap you and it will divert you away from the powerful being that you are and that you can be. And get to know yourself. Get to know your natural strength. In my, in my experience, self-knowledge, which I had to, I had to go that way uh, because the only tool I had was myself. Um, and it refers to understanding one's own mental state, your processes, your dispositions, um, including your inherent qualities of mind and character. Be true to yourself, you know. But it's the single most important thing anyone needs to master, whether it's a mining professional or a female or entrepreneur. But then specifically advice to the mining entrepreneurs, you need to know why you are doing it, whether you are male or female. Um, and you need to remember passion is for weekends. Uh, what you need for your weekday is obsession. And remember the words of the economist. There is a cost to everything. Uh, you can't have it all. You will have to pay. Um, for example, if you work 20 hours a day, <laughs> six or seven days a week, you're not going to have a social life. And that is the cost of it. Uh, but it's, you are the master of your own journey, the master of your own universe. It's, it's, you decide what it is that you want and you need to be accountable for it and go for it. Yeah. Did you have any sort of mentors during during your career? Or is there anyone that you sort of looked up to that you wanted to potentially be? Oh, we all want to be Robert Friedland. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I want to be Robert Friedland. <laughs> I would possibly not know what to say when I meet Robert Friedland, but he is just such a master at branding and whatever he's doing. And, and uh, I went to see him, um, not him in person, but at the Mining and Daba, we gave a speech and I do that every year. Um, uh, so so, so he's, I won't say he's a mentor because not teaching me anything, but he's, he's certainly someone that I do look at um, and how he does things, how he says things. And um, I've got uh, very, very respect for them. And then the other, there's two other uh, influence uh, is I surround myself with the smartest people in the industry. I collect them. <laughs> I collect them. I, I, I identify them and then I try to, to get them into my circle. Um, and um, I always say, you know, when you talk, you repeat what you, what you already know. But when you're quiet and you listen, you have a chance to learn. And um, I am, currently I'm surrounded by the, absolutely the best, best team. Uh, so so um, my team, they, they are my mentors as well. And then my parents. My parents have taught me lessons, tough lessons, some of them. But they, they, um, I have learned from them to have a very high inner uh, responsibility and um, uh, I'm very, very, very uh, grateful for that. You mentioned, and obviously I asked this question about mentors and you said some of them 
you you collect or you bring into your team if you didn't know them and again for people that are listening and they want a mentor how how would you go about getting a a mentor and then obviously if you're if you're obviously a business owner to get them into your team how how did you go about approaching these people to to then obviously help you in your journey the thing is to get a mentor i'm i'm i am approached very much um uh, and it's a huge compliment uh, by people asking me to be their mentor, but it's a very, very um, difficult and it can be a very dangerous path because remember the entrepreneur or, or the individual that you're approaching that you want to be your mentor has had a different journey uh, than 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 you. Um, I, I think rather study people. Study them, study what do they do, what do they say, how do they act in certain situations. And and then today with social media, to study Robert Friedland, you know, it's you can do that. You can actually study Robert Friedland, what to do, uh, what not to do, how to do it. And there's, there's, we have got a Neil Froneman. We have got a Bernard Swanepoel. Um, in a way, they are all mentors, not knowing that they are, because I do study them. Uh, Bernard Swanepoel has got, um, I think it's almost a two-hour podcast that he has. And there's so much to learn out of, he's just talking, he's just talking about his life. So so read books, um, study study a YouTube video, study podcasts, as opposed to go to someone and say, mentor me. Um, uh, then the other question is surrounding myself with people you, that is a very, very difficult thing to do. Um, I always say entrepreneurship is not about skills, it's about character. You need to have a certain mindset. <laughs> you need to have a little, you need to be be a little bit stupid in a way, you know, to, to tackle on those challenges that's got a very high risk uh, and sometimes no reward uh, uh, result. Um, so if you have skills, it gets you there faster. And if you have a network, it gets you there even faster. Now, I, I sort of started my journey with without very limited skills and a zero network. And I would have been here much, much faster if I had that. Um, so collecting people, identifying people that, that you want to be surrounded with, it, it takes a very long time. It takes... It takes um, it takes months, sometimes years of getting to know these people because they also need to trust you and you need to be able to sell your story to them. Why would they join your company? Why would they work for you for free for six months or two years, etc.? cetera? Um, so it, it, it takes a lot of effort and it is key to the success of your company because when you start out, you don't have necessarily the money uh, to pay these people, you have to you have to ask them come along with me, uh, and then when you can start paying them, then you can start paying them. Yes, yeah, certainly, and you gave some great advice there. Especially, obviously, with social media today, there's so much content out there. I hear like this podcast, um, but obviously, books, videos, 
Uh, and like you, and again, you can study certain people. If you want to, if you want to be someone like that, you can then study those people, and and potentially those people are putting a lot of content out there, and, and it's and it's being focused, like like you said. You started, and when I, one of the first questions I asked, how did you get into the industry? Obviously, you started in admin, and look where you've come, where you come. So, you can do it, but like you said, you've got to be focused. You've got to learn, and, and I suppose continuously learning. Surround yourself with the right people, um, and obviously, how you get those people again is what I asked. But um, no, it's an important value, inf- uh, valuable information that the, that you've given. Um, in terms of obviously um, ship copper, um, what's your management team like, um, and what attributes do they bring to to the business? I'm going to jump to uh, to copper three sixty. Uh, uh, being now, um, it was very I must say it was very difficult because ship has been a part of my DNA. Uh, I, it was like my child <laughs> and now all of a sudden we uh, i did a reverse takeover and ship is now um 95 owned by copper 360 so i needed to make the shift that ship is not necessarily my child anymore copper 360 is my child so, so that was very very difficult to do and i have done that um and um of course, looking after Copper 360 with all its subsidiaries, including Cape Copper Oxide and O'Keefe Copper Company and SHIP. Um, we, we, uh, we need, obviously, to have a look at the teams. And the teams, are they are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But seeing that you've touched on uh, women and mining, and it is almost the month of August, um, if you'll allow me, I'm going to be a bit naughty and I'm going to talk about our six rising stars at Copper 360, which are six women rising stars. Um, can I carry on? Yeah, of course. Okay, so I'm very, very proud of them. Uh, and I must say they were organic. They were not, um, they were never offered the position because they were women. Um, I will, I will, I will uh, talk about Jana van Weyck, who is our general manager of operations. Um, she's a South African trained geologist, and she's responsible for production cycle from mining to copper cathode production at our operations. Now, Jana joined the, the company as a geologist and ended up as the general manager. Uh, operations of that plant, which is a tough job. Um, it's it's running 24-7. And Jana is a geologist and she's running around there with her beautiful blonde hair and a hard hat. And it's it is it's quite fantastic seeing her coming in as just a junior geologist and all of a sudden um fast forward uh, two years she progressed to the general manager uh, of that operations, uh, and I'm very, very proud of her. Um, then we have got Jacqueline Wyatt. She's an executive who acts as the company chief technical officer. So we refer to her as the CTO. She's South African. She's a trained chemical engineer with both operational research and development with process engineering design and experience. She's extremely clever. Uh, Jacqueline is extremely uh, clever. 
She's responsible for the test work, the design and the project execution on a new flotation plant at Nambabib, which is um, currently under construction. This is the this is the plant that's going to treat the sulfides uh, for, 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 for repair. And she also oversees the technical um, out, um, our hydrometallurgic plant. Jacqueline also has a seat at the C, the Copper 360 Executive Committee. Then we have got Alria. Alria also started with us when we started Cape Copper Oxide. She's the senior plant metallurgist um, and also deputy plant manager at the Nambabu SXEW. And she's providing a valuable participant in a very, very robust environment. Then we have Griselle Farmer. Griselle is our compliance manager. She has a BA in community development. And Griselle is responsible for all in-house compliance related issues. And her experience uh, from the Department of Social Development is, is proving to be very, very valuable. Then we have Jasmine Cluter. Now, Jasmine Cluter was quite a surprise because Jasmine was just under our nose. You think you will find in, in the Springbok area, you're looking for an environmental manager and then where do you need to find one? You know, somewhere in Johannesburg. She was just under our, our nose. Uh, she is from the area. She is an environmental manager. She holds a BSc environmental management degree. And she's responsible for the implementation of Copper Earth Resources Environmental Program and Carbon Footprint Controls. And then last but not least, we have Melissa van den Heerfer, and she's a trained optimized engineer uh, who is a South African trained B-Tech chemical engineer reporting directly to Jacqueline Wyeth, who is our chief technical officer. And she's responsible for test work and analytic oversight of the company optimization program, which is a continuous uh, road to improvement. And that are just only a few of many. So when I say, you know, you surround yourself with the best people and your team is key in getting you there. I am so proud of these six rising star. And like I said, there is, um, that's only a few of many. Yeah. And obviously very capable and some of them seem relatively um, young. How did you, how did you come across all of these people? And obviously you mentioned one was, one was in the local area, but were they all from the local area or were they in various parts of South Africa? They were various parts of South Africa. It's, it's industry related. So when we, 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 we did the pilot plant in, in the Babip, um, the pilot SXEW plant, we, um, we reached out to the industry and uh, find out who is the best consultant in the industry to help us with this. And that was Jacqueline White. Um, and, and she walked quite a long road with us. And we eventually asked Jacqueline, Jacqueline, can you please join us permanently? Can you move down from the free stage and live on site permanently? And, um, Jacqueline had enough, uh, um, had enough belief in in um, in us to actually do that, uh, and she's been with us now for a few years for exactly you know. So that's the one. And like Yana, we advertised for a geologist, and and she applied. Alria was also a senior met, uh, metallurgist. Uh, we also wrote her in from the area because we couldn't find 
uh, in the local um, the local area. She comes from from um, Gauteng. Grizel Farmer is from the area. She's she's from she's the compliance manager who has a BA in community development, as well as Jasmine Kluter. Uh, both of them are from Concordia, actually, and, and it's fantastic finds to see that you have got these skills right under your nose. Um, because the first, the first choice is always to to look what do you have uh, right under your nose. No, and it's and it's a great story, and uh, yeah, it's great that you're giving these people opportunities, and obviously they 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 are well deserved based on obviously from what you said and their their skills and capabilities so lastly what's what's the outlook for the company over the sort of next six to 12 months we're still small we're very small uh we have listed and we now qualify as a junior minor and to me that's huge because i started up uh as a wannabe small miner you know <laughs> when, when you were allowed to be a small miner by applying for a mining um uh, um, not a mining license, a mining permit of one and a half hectare back in, in the day. And then you were a small miner. So junior miner to me is, is big, but in, in, in relation, it's small, um, especially if you're in the list, listed space. But we're gearing up towards the end of the year with the construction of this new plant. And on an annual basis for the next year, we do about 8,000 tons of copper production. The following year, we're aiming to double that. It's still small. But if one of these open pits pan out, like I think it will, then in the next three years, we can actually grow our production to, I'm going to be naughty and say 50,000 of copper per year. And then we can become a, mid, um, a mid-sized player. And a bigger player, again, I'm repeating myself, a bigger player in terms of the African context. Um, but then I am very excited to tell you it's new, it's fresh. Um, we are also planning the Concordia School of Mining. Uh, so it's for the community, it's in the community, and it's by the community. There's a severe lack of skills in the mining industry. industry. And we can discuss the reasons for that in another podcast, but basically it comes down to the people don't want to be associated with mining anymore because the associate word association with mining, it's been very, very negative. Uh, if you close your eyes and you hear mining, it's, it's, it's very, very negative. And we need to change that. And we need to show people that mining is actually fun, you know, it is nice. It can be exciting. It can be clean and it can be green. Anyway, we have a minimum life of mine of over 100 years, uh, Rob, and um, the econo economic benefit to such a school is huge. Uh, we have got the minerals. We have got the people. We need to make sure that we have the skills um, of, of, of that. Uh, we need to lay the foundation now for the next 100 to 200 years. Um, so, uh, as I said, we have the skills. Sorry, we have the minerals, we have the people, we do have the skills now. But if we don't pay attention to uh, skills development for the, that hundred years and more, we will not have a business. And it will have an incredible impact on the community as well. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that brought that point up because uh, I do often on, on Vincent's LinkedIn, 
do talk about the skill shortage in our industry. Um, so I'm glad that you brought that up. And it's great that you're you're building a school. And yeah, it'd be great to do a podcast, maybe beginning part of next year, do a podcast and we can speak about more about that in more detail. And especially around, obviously, like you said, the skills within our industry, because we do have a big branding image as, as, as a mining industry. And I think most people are aware of that. However, the global community or, or the sorry, the globe, the people outside of the mining industry don't actually know what mining is about. And it, and that message needs to get out, needs to get out to those people. Hence the reason why I, I started this podcast. And as, as it's grown, um, I do ask people to share this, pe- share the, these episodes, not just to mining people, but people outside of the mining industry. So they can actually understand a little bit about what the industry does, what it does for communities like what you just ex- explained that you, you're building a school um, because that isn't promoted enough. Um, and I even saw comments um, or posts either this week or last week uh, around around another company doing something similar, but it's not promoted. Um, and it all seems to be a lot of negativity around our industry, which is, which is uncalled for uh, because people don't know what we do within our industry. So yeah, I'd love you to come back on the podcast um, and talk, talk about that. I will most definitely. I'm very excited about it, but I also would like to set up um, uh, another chat just with you off the podcast and, and, and to discuss this uh, because again, uh, you might, you might have a skill that I can include in the, the school of mining um, because that this is what you do. You look, you look at the skills, the skill sets in mining and recruiting those skill sets. It's a very, very we can't have mines without this recruiting those skill sets. So I would like to chat to you afterwards um, uh, if you will allow me. Yeah, no worries. We will do. Um, thank. I really appreciate your time sharing your story. Um, obviously, wish you. Wish you uh, all the luck in uh, obviously developing of, of the company and obviously these 12 mines. If our audience wants to reach out to you, if they've got any questions and also if they want to follow your story, um, where can people find you? Obviously, I know that you're on LinkedIn. Um, is there other social media channels that you're on that people can uh, follow your story? Only for this now, uh, only on LinkedIn. Only on LinkedIn. Okay, uh, but surely I is mining LinkedIn, uh, and then Copper Three Hundred and Sixty. Uh, we do have a page. Um, they follow the two of that. Uh, we re- we we update it quite continuously. Yeah, well, we can include those in the the show notes of companies podcast as well, so people that are listening have easy access to that and can reach out to you if they've got any questions, and also obviously follow your story. So, um, really appreciate your time, Shirley. All the best for the future. Uh, and those that are listening, hope you enjoyed that episode. Um, a lot to unpack there. Um, certainly a lot of lessons that can be learned. And um, and obviously what a great, uh, great story that Shirley's just given us. Um, it shows you if you put your mind to it, put your focus to it, there's resources out there, uh, not just in mining, but resources to develop yourself um, because you can achieve whatever you set out to do. So, Really appreciate your time. Thank you for listening. Please share this episode amongst others within our industry. And like I said, also people outside of our industry as well, um, because 
Um, it, it's a great story that Shirley's just shared with us. So until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.